postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth story is with Kara Franstead. Kara and her husband had never considered having a home birth, but as the pandemic hit and there was a real possibility of her husband having to miss the birth of their third child, they looked into it, even though she was already 38 weeks pregnant. It turned out to be their best birth experience yet. Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast. Talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Birthful. And if what you hear is helpful, you know what to do. Subscribe. It's free, and that way you're not going to miss a thing. All right. So my episode today is with Kara Franstead, who had done quite a bit of preparation to get ready for her third birth before everything changed with the pandemic. As her stress levels increased, her husband surprised her by suggesting they look into the possibility of having a home birth, even though this was something he'd laughed at before. And she was already 38 weeks long. Let's get to it. Welcome, Kara. I am so happy to have you here on the show and congratulations on your new baby. Thank you. Yeah. And this is your third baby. How old? My uh, baby is two and a half weeks old. Very, very fresh. I do appreciate you coming on the show to talk about your experience so soon after having, um, and I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, having him, her. It's a girl. Having her. Um, what else do you have at home? Uh, that's my third girl. <laughs> oh, your husband is very outnumbered. He's very loved. <laughs> Why don't you tell us, where were you? Like, take us back to uh, before you had any children, when you were first pregnant. What was your approach towards birth then? I had a really good friend at the time who had a baby about, she got pregnant maybe almost nine months before I did. And so the, I knew that at some point we were going to be starting our family. So I kind of followed her journey. Um, and she had been a marathon runner, a competitive marathon runner. So she was very into health and very into natural things she could do with her body. So she was all about having a natural birth. Um, she hired a doula before her. I had never heard of a doula before. And uh, I kind of followed her journey. And after she had the baby, I wanted to know everything. Um, she had one of those unique three-hour labors, but um, she had a, an incredible experience. And so she told me everything, gave me all her notes and everything. And so that's when I started looking into what kind of birth I wanted and being really intentional about it, as opposed to just, well, I'll just show up at the hospital and see what happens, because that was going to be my original plan. Um, and then I realized, no, I need to be intentional about this. So that was that was where it all began. Mm. And so what did you do to become intentional? How do you prepare for that first one? I started looking into doulas. So I interviewed a couple of different doulas and I really didn't at the time have a clue what I was looking for. I just sort of figured I would know it when I saw it. Um, and kind of different people's, you know, different doulas have different philosophies and different methods and, um, and I didn't really know what I was looking for, but I, you know, I found somebody at the time we were living in a different 
area. And, um, she, you know, we, she and I clicked really well and she was a big, um, proponent of hypnobirthing. Uh, and I looked into it and I was really interested in, you know, in this idea. Um, and so that's, that's what, what I got started doing. Um, and then I tried to wing the second child without hypnobirthing and it didn't go as well. And by that, what do you mean by that, that you didn't prepare? Like, because I find with hypnobirthing, it's a fantastic tool, but you've got to practice it. You do. Yeah. You do. Um, well, so I figured with the second one, uh, you know, I knew everything there was to know. I've had a baby before. Why? you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a pro at this. Uh, and <laughs> turns out that wasn't the case. So I didn't practice really. I didn't take the time to practice. And I think, especially if you already have a child, you have to actually find the time. Whereas if it's your first, the time is easier to come by. So I didn't practice for my second and I didn't end up having kind of the birth I had envisioned. Um, so nothing went wrong per se. Um, it just wasn't, as calm and as smooth as the first one and so with the third one i said okay that's it we're gonna go do a refresher course and we're gonna make sure that i practice and um this third one was definitely my best birth Mm. and tell us like in broad strokes what happened during those first two births so the first birth was 29 hours of labor um my, I didn't have any contractions leading up to the birth. I was 40 weeks, three days, I guess, and my water broke. Uh, so I had no contractions at all. And then 30 minutes after my water broke, it was about 10 o'clock at night. Um, I started having contractions and they were about every three minutes lasting a minute for 24 hours, more or less. And I had a break in the middle where I kind of um, petered out a little bit where my contractions spaced out. And then I ended up going to the hospital um, at about 24 hours and then had the baby five hours later, uh, hands on my hands and knees, which is now my favorite position to give birth in. Um, And the second one, um, I was 39 weeks probably four-ish days. And again, same thing. My water broke, no previous contractions and contractions started 30 minutes after uh, my water broke. And then after a couple of hours, we went to the hospital um, and I was in the hospital longer with this one. And uh, I stalled when I got to the hospital and I started to get really nervous that this was taking too long and you know it was all all in my head and that goes back to the hypnobirthing and kind of mentally preparing yourself uh which I hadn't done so I was definitely not as calm and um and then yeah I mean then I had the baby but uh I needed pitocin and so I was uh having trouble kind of maintaining the strength of my contractions so they gave me pitocin and um my doula had thought that we had a excuse me a hand over her head and she wasn't going down into the pelvis 
So between my doula and my husband, they were able to, with the use of a rebozo, um, get the baby down into my pelvis. And I ended up having to kind of lie on my back to keep her there, or recline to keep her there. Um, and I ended up having to deliver on my back, which is not my favorite thing to do. But so that's why with the third one, I really wanted to kind of mentally get myself in the right space. And it's lovely that you've had a variety of experiences so that you've sort of tested and, and gone, well, hypnobirthing worked really well. Oh, but I actually need to practice, you know, hands and knees loved it. But then this was this issue and got you in a place where you had, a, I'm guessing, a very good idea of what you were looking for, for your third one. Um, exactly. Before we get into that one, because we're going to dive right in. Uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back. In our house, we are big on hydrating. Aside from all the important health benefits, I find that if I'm not well hydrated, I get these brutal headaches. So it's really important for me to hydrate. However, I do not like the taste of tap water and I cannot bring myself to buy bottled water because of all the plastic waste. So for years, we did pitcher filters, but then we switched to AquaTrue water purifiers. And after tasting the deliciousness of their truly clean water, we are never going back. What makes AquaTrue so unique is that they use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. This process removes 15% more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, also known as forever chemicals, that are found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. You can also forget about having to change filters every two to three months because AquaTrue filters last from six months to two years. Now, if plastic bottles are your thing, just one set of filters from AquaTrue's classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code BIRTHFUL at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code B-I-R-T-H-F-U-L. And we are back. So, Kara, you've had two kids, and the first one was lovely. The second one was had a little bit more complications, but was still lovely, right? It wasn't... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't uh, the experience that was my favorite, we'll say. Yeah. Uh, did you, with those two experiences under your belt, were you doing anything different um, for the third one, as you prepared, aside from making sure you did the refresher course for hypnobirthing and practice, I had a, I, I like you said, I, I had a much better idea in my head of what I wanted and what I didn't want. And one of the things that my husband kind of helped me flesh out when we were talking about my, you know, the experience I wanted was um, that I really don't like. Uh, people touching me <laughs> while I'm in labor. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that we realized that 
you know, I just sort of want to be in my space and in, in the zone. And, um, and it was really interesting to kind of have that revelation that I ha- I actually do have a lot of, you know, do I do have a preference for how I want to do this? And um, it was great to, to figure that out. So well, and also give yourself permission to do it however you wanted to with that, because I find that sometimes there's like judgment and guilt attached to if you don't want to be touched during labor or if you don't want, you know, that people go like, well, that's we- weird, which it isn't. It's just, I, I, what do you do? And this is just a curious question. What do you do when you stub your toe? Uh, I usually say, ouch. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what you're getting at. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I find that sometimes just looking into what you do when you stub your toe can give you an insight of what might be your coping mechanisms during labor because it's a very automatic to what you would want. So like, for example, I know when I stub my toe, I just need to rub it really quick and when people are asking me like are you okay is it fine I just don't want to hear anybody it's like give me space just let me figure this out kind of thing yeah yeah exactly um so anyways I always I I that's it's like a little experiment that I have going of asking people what they do when they stub their toe okay um was there were there other things from those two births that you were like yes this worked really great or this didn't I really didn't like this aside from the touching um yeah you know I uh I didn't want anybody to talk to me either uh I at this this the way we were originally going to do it was I wanted the nurses and everybody to go through my husband and he could filter out what was necessary, you know, that I make a decision on. But I was kind of said, you know, I just, I just want to deliver the baby. I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want anybody to touch me. You know, I don't want to make any decisions. Um, So my husband and I fleshed out ahead of time what, um, you know, kind of what I wanted and, and what, you know, what he could bother me for, if you will. And um, so that was the other major thing was, I, you know, I just want to focus on having the baby, you make the decisions. Mm-hmm. And I love that sort of division of, of responsibilities or focus, because you as the birthing person do need to go deep into your physiology and deep into that labor land, right? And people mm-hmm. talking to you and and disturbing you, intervening, like all those things do take you out of that mental state, which is important for things yes. to flow. Yeah. What were some of the things that he could quote unquote bother you for? Oh, I'm trying to remember what the main ones were. It was mainly like emergencies. Um, and cause he knew, you know, I didn't really want any interventions. Um, I was going to decide if I wanted a cervix check. Um, but don't, you know, unless there's a problem with the baby's heart rate or something that I really need to know, or, um, for example, if my doula had a suggestion for a different position that might help, um, he could bother me for that. Um, so those kinds of things, but, um, anything else, you know, he knew I didn't want, then don't, don't even, (laughs) don't even bother. Mm -hmm. And 
I like this also clarity that you had in terms of making sure your doula was almost more support for your husband, That which I find that happens a lot during birth because, and depending on what the, what the couple's comfort levels are, right? Some want the doula to be way more involved with mom. Some want the doula to be like in this case, supporting dad and indirectly supporting you that way. Yeah, and she actually, she does both for us generally. Um, kind of at the beginning, she's supporting dad and kind of telling him, you know, how how she can, you know, how he can help me. Uh, and then at the end, um, she has been, this. I've used the same doula for the last two. Uh, we've been in the same area, but the first one we were in a different area and I had a different doula. So this doula knows knew us pretty well kind of knew you know knew my preferences so at the end she helps a lot with um counter pressure and you know different kinds of things my my husband's an engineer and he is not a fan of the medical type stuff he's uh he's at the he always stays at the top end he doesn't want to be down at the business end <laughs> uh and he's he's kind of squeamish with uh with blood and all that kind of stuff so the, um, we have it very clear with our doula that if there's anything down there or anything medical that needs of a medical nature that needs to be taken care of, then that's her job. Mm -hmm. So you're, you sounded like you were, you know, really set, you had your doula, you had come up with a game plan with your husband in terms of how to navigate your experience. You've done this twice before you were practicing your hypnobirthing. And then <laughs> everything changed. <laughs> Tell me how it changed. What were the biggest things? Um, like, what was the first things that came to your mind in terms of questioning? And what were you talking to your provider about? So things changed. And I think it varies area by area. Uh, things changed relatively slowly for us but it was like every week there was a new change uh and before the virus had kind of you know started the lockdowns and everything uh our hospital limited doulas so that you couldn't bring in or limited the support to one person so you couldn't bring in doulas then they came back and said no doulas are considered medical personnel so they're allowed and that went on for two weeks. Um, and in those two weeks, they had the lockdown. Um, and then my provider's office, I was, I'm seeing a, or I was seeing a midwife uh, group within an OB practice. Um, so the whole office shut down to kind of mandatory, they didn't do any routine exams. They only did, you know, exams for, people who are closer to the end of, um, of their uh, pregnancy and people who, you know, had, you know, potential emergencies, things like that. So things began to change week by week. And then the next week came up and, and now doulas were no longer allowed. Um, my doula, um, the company Birth You Desire is the, is the company and, and they do virtual they, they do virtual doula support, uh, but I didn't like that idea. And I know they, they've been doing it for a long time. And, uh, it, you know, it's something that they have 
done continuously throughout this crisis, but I knew that was not what I needed because my husband doesn't do the hands-on stuff. I needed somebody who could help me with that. So the, uh, at least, you know, the messy hands-on stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, so were so, you having were you having to figure out like discuss and talk about who was going to come in with you in that case? Was that well? Even it was a always going to be him. Uh -huh. It was always going to be my husband. I there was my doula did tell me that there were a couple of not everybody in that she was you know, supporting did that. Some people had her as the support person instead of the partner, um, but for me, it was always going to be my husband. Um, and then New York did that brief time period where they weren't even allowing partners into mm -hmm. the, and that terrified me. I was like, well, there is no way I'm giving birth by myself. <laughs> God bless the women who did, because I had no, in no intention of doing that. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, you know, things started to kind of spiral in that way. And I just, it was not the birth I wanted. And it felt very transactional. They were trying to get people in and out. And I think, you know, if you're having a, you know, a planned C-section or something where, you know, you're going to come in at this time and you're going to have, you know, this happen, then I think it would be different. But if you're giving birth, spending hours in labor, you need to mentally, you know, be in a space where you have a lot of support um, for a long period of time. And I didn't feel like I could do that in the hospital. So when did you start considering switching to a home birth and what did that look like? I was about 38 and a half, almost 39 weeks pregnant. Uh, so That's cutting it close. End. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I, it was, a it was kind of, I mean, my husband had, and I had joked when we had did our hypnobirthing refresher course, we had kind of gone through the timeline of our other births. And he pointed out to me that I always stall when I get to the hospital because I get really nervous and I start to be, you know, become, afraid and then all of a sudden my contractions kind of peter out and he this was a trend that I didn't notice that he pointed out to me and I was like well maybe you know we could do a, a home birth sometime and uh he was you know haha very funny <laughs> um, and all I guess all he could picture was me just dropping a baby on our kitchen floor, you know, and <laughs> I was like, I don't think it really works like that. But <laughs> he he was not a not a fan of the idea originally um, when we had joked about it. He, he was like, absolutely not. And um, and then he was the one who actually brought it up to me when all these things started to happen. Because he said, you know, there's no way I want to miss this. Um, and so I, I had didn't really have any issues with the idea. So I, uh, I kind of reached out to my doula, like, hey, this is something we just talked about. I know it sounds crazy at this stage of the game, but what do you think? And do you know anybody who would take me on this late? And, you know, we talked about it for a little bit and... 
she'd kind of, you know, said, okay, well, let me get back to you. And, um, she's, you know, attended home births before. And so it wasn't, uh, you know, an odd request, but she, um, so I kind of figured, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Uh, and I'm not going to stress about this. I'm going to continue getting into the mental space I need to be in. And cause there's <laughs> with the virus and everything, you know, there's enough, enough to be stressed about. Right. Yeah. So, so I, uh, I heard back from her a couple days later and she said, you know, I think this, um, uh, this mid, this midwife has space in her schedule for you. Um, just so happened all of her, you know, March mama's delivered already. And, um, you know, anyway, here's her number, give her a call, see what you think. So I thought, oh, okay, guess we're doing this. <laughs> so I just figured I'd give her a call. And if she had any concerns about taking me this late in the pregnancy or any concerns about anything at all, um, then I would continue with the hospital birth. Um, but she yeah. didn't. And yeah, what, what, walk me through what did those conversations, initial conversations look like in terms of the questions she had for you and the questions you had for her? Because I know that having been at home births before and having interacted with home birth midwives, a big part of the process of doing this together is trust in each other. You need mm -hmm. to build and have trust. And so if you're switching at 39 weeks, um, was that a concern of either one of you? And yeah, how, how did that conversation go? So the, that was kind of the first thing I, I asked her was, is this safe? You know, you don't know me, essentially, and I don't know you. And um, you know, you don't know my history and I've been seeing, you know, I, I knew the other midwives in my practice You know, one of them delivered my second child. So I knew them really well. And, um, you know, there was, I guess, four or five of them, um, and made sure to see them all at different appointments so that I, you know, knew, did know them, you know, depending on who was gonna deliver. So, she and I went over my medical history and thankfully I have a very uneventful obstetric medical history. Um, and the other thing is, is I've given birth twice without an epidural. So she didn't have any concerns about that. Cause I, I didn't realize that's a big component of home birth is a lot of people don't realize there's no drugs available <laughs> for pain. So if you're, you know, calling for an epidural, it's not going to happen. But well, I had already done so, that. Yeah. And, and if you want an epidural, like what people also don't realize is that a big part of home birth to hospital transfers are not at all emergent. I mean, very rarely are they emergent, but a big part of them are people saying, I can't do this anymore and I want an epidural or it's the choice to go into the hospital for those other options that are not available at home, not because, it's, you know, something's wrong with baby or with with uh, the birthing person. Um, but yeah, the fact that you'd done it already, you know, definitely built confidence that you could do it again. Right. I, I mean, I didn't have any concerns about that, but I guess she gets calls sometimes from 
moms saying, I'd love to have a home birth. Can you bring an epidural? <laughs> and she's like, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. So, you know, just to make sure that she, you know, that I knew that um, there wasn't, you know, no mm-hmm. anesthesiologist was coming with her. <laughs> yeah. right. She brings a lot of stuff, oxygen and a lot right. of, you know, Pitocin. She's got stuff, but, um, but no, no epidurals. <laughs> right. So that was another conversation we had and she knew my doula pretty well. So um, she had had a previous conversation with my doula about me and my, um, you know, if I was a good candidate for this kind of thing, you know, mentally and emotionally, and did I really realize what, you know, what a home birth means and that kind of thing. And, um, but our conversations at the beginning revolved around the uh, medical history. Mm -hmm. And let's take another break. When we come back, I want to ask you a bit about how your husband was feeling with all this. We'll be right back. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. And we are back. So you seem to have had a really good first initial meeting where the midwife was feeling that this was going to work out and it was safe. You were feeling reassured by her. But originally, your husband was like, no, there's no way we're not doing this, even though then it became his idea. Where did he stand on all this now? So he had a lot of questions for her during our initial meeting about the logistics, uh, like any good engineer. Um, the, uh, you know, how how does this work and what do I need to buy? You know, what, what do I need to do? And, you know, am I going to be cleaning, you know, amniotic fluid out of my, you know, the grout in my kitchen for several years? And, and he's the squeamish <laughs> one, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he was like, yeah. So all those kinds of things, he was, um, he had a lot of questions for her 
about all of that. Um, and it turned out that somebody in his office had had four kids all at home. And so he explained to my husband how they did it and kind of the things that they used that were helpful for them. Um, and this guy was also an engineer. So everything kind of fit and lined up just the way an engineer thinks. So it ended up being a real benefit that he knew somebody who could kind of help him, you know, figure out what he needed to do and how, you know, what he needed to get. And so he was all on board. And I think um, the main thing for him was he wanted me to feel really comfortable. Uh, so he didn't get involved with um, my choice of midwife. Uh, he just, his main thing was the questions of logistics. Well, and I love that you for your first birth had kind of your pregnancy birth mentor and your friend who had just gone ahead and you could ask her all the questions. And then he had his own kind of home birth mentor in this coworker that told him all the logistics that he needed to figure out. Yeah, it actually made him a lot more comfortable knowing that somebody else had, you know, that he knew and respected had done this. And there's a, a very easy way for the mess not to bother you and that kind of thing. So it mm. was great. Do you know what were some of those things that the this uh, co-worker told him that how to make things flow better for a home birth? Yeah, it, a, they're very practical things like um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, the midwife had said, um, you know, put put something under your sheets so that if you decide to give birth in the master, you don't get the mattress dirty and that kind of stuff. So she had kind of explained to me how that works. And then my husband's friend had said, okay, yeah, but here's what you really should do. And it was make the bed like you would normally, and then put a shower curtain on top of the bed unfolded you know so it covers all, the whole bed and then put towels down and then put a throwaway sheet on top of that so when you're all done all you have to do is pick up from the shower curtain throw that out and you can get right in bed after you have the baby <laughs> mm -hmm. i love that trick i know that trick and i love that trick because it's really not i mean did you find it very messy no, I didn't, but um, I mean, I'm not very squeamish. So. <laughs> so in terms of you, what did you do last minute to prepare for a home birth? Did you have to adjust anything, do you find? No, I don't think so. I think it was the smoothest transition for me. Um, the, the idea that I didn't have to pick up and go anywhere. I mean, there was a lot more of that practical stuff, you know, like, let's get a couple extra towels or, you know, let's get, you know, random stuff like that, you know, more diapers, because we're not going to be at the hospital where they, you know, throw those packs at you to take home. So let's, you know, it's kind of practical stuff like that, but nothing in the mental space, because I found it just to be the easiest transition. Hmm. So then how did it start? How did it happen? So I, 
about oh, 10 days before it, I actually went into labor. I had thought I went into labor. Um, I had prodromal labor for probably 10 hours where my contractions were coming every six minutes, lasting about 50 seconds to a minute. Um, and I was kind of expecting them to, you know, get stronger and closer together and, um, and they didn't. And I had even had my parents take the kids and everything. So we, uh, we had a false alarm, which was almost embarrassing for my third child. Uh, you, know, you would think I would know, uh, but it kind of took me by surprise and it, it just was prodromal labor and that was it. And I didn't actually go into labor for another 10 days. And it's funny because, you know, in doula circles and like midwifery circles, we always talk about third babies are the wild card. Second babies, so tend, funny, yeah. they tend to come quicker, not always the case, but third babies just tend to throw you for a loop. <laughs> it's funny you say that because my doula kept reminding me of that. She kept saying, it's your third one. It's your third one. There's going to be something wacky about it. So and it yeah. turned out there was. So, and how far along were you at that point? I was 39 weeks, just had turned 39 weeks at that point. So you had just switched to mid to home birth? Yes, like maybe a few days before, if that, maybe two days. Oh, wow. So then, yeah, what did that prodromal birth do to your head? Oh, it was very upsetting i guess i'll call it upsetting um you know you're at the end of your pregnancy and you're just like gosh get this baby out i want to be done and uh and i had thought i had you know mentally moved into the labor space and turned out that that was not the case and i was pretty i was pretty you know gutted that uh i was still pregnant um and I got to a point too where I was just like, I just want to have a baby. I just want the baby. And um, and then it was another ten days of monitoring. So it it was it was really hard um, mm. waiting those ten days for sure. Yeah, and I said um, prodromal pregnant prodromal birth. That I should have said prodromal labor. But what did you so? Those 10 days were really hard because you were waiting and nothing was happening. Were you doing anything to try to get you back into that headspace of relaxation and trust? Yes. So I took a lot of, I, one of my favorite places to kind of relax is the bath or the shower. So I, I did a lot of that. Um, I had this, um, you know, like this oils and things you can put in the bath to make it, you know, the scrubs and stuff you can put in the bath to make it smell nice. Um, those help me kind of get into the, the zone. Um, and I just tried to really take care of myself mentally in that way to, you know, especially when we got the kids back and, you know, when, if you have young kids, you know, your life is hardly your own. So spending time after the kids went to bed to actually, you know, calm myself down and realize, you know, everything's fine. I'm fine. The baby's healthy. I'm healthy. Let's, you know, let's do this. Let's relax. Let's, you know, we'll get through this. But it, it take again, that you have to be intentional about that. It does take a lot of effort. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Again, yeah, this baby was really throwing you for a loop. So (laughs) did it, 10 days later, did things begin like with your other two where your water broke before contractions started? Nope, not even close. Mm. (laughs) It was very strange. Uh, With the other two, my water broke in the evening. Um, So, and they were very predictable. The other two, well, after the first one, the second one would have been very predictable. Um, But this was... I started having contractions as I woke up. So it was probably 6.30 in the morning having contractions, but light contractions, just like I had been having. Um, And I had called my mom and I had said, listen, I just, I need to relax. I need, you know, I need some, some time. Can you take the kids for a little bit? So my, my mom came and took the kids Um, and I went to go for a walk and all of a sudden the contractions started getting really strong. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And it was really cold out and I had not dressed properly for the, for the weather. So I turned around probably, I mean, half, not even halfway through and walked back and I got home and the contractions were really starting to come faster, you know, starting to pick up. And I thought, well, that's weird and I didn't want to get excited because you know because of what had happened you know 10 days prior but uh so I went to go sit down and uh you know watch a movie kind of take my my mind off of it and then they really started picking up and they were about every five minutes and so I I had called my doula and said well here's what's going on and then they started to really pick up in intensity and I took a, a shower and then, uh, and yeah. And so that's kind of how everything got started. Mm-hmm. And where was your husband at? Uh, were you cluing him in? Was he around? Yeah, he was home working. I had been working too, but I kind of um, took the day off because I wasn't, you know, because of the contractions that started so early. I was like, yeah, I'm just not feeling well. I'm going to, take the day off. So, um, he was working in our, in the home office and, um, yeah, I had kind of let him know here and there, you know, was he seeing you things changed with you? And was he like picking up on that when you called your doula and gave her the heads up? Were you thinking come over now or not yet? Like what? No, I, I told her not to come over just yet because I was like, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And she said, okay, then you need to be really open with me and communicate every change. So, um, I communicated, you know, I texted her every time something changed and not even an hour later, she said, okay, I'm coming. And thankfully she actually doesn't live too far away from me. So it was, you know, almost like two neighborhoods over. So um, really easy for her to get to me. Um, So she came over and when she got to the house, she called the midwife and said, okay, here's my assessment. You want to, you, you want to come over, but don't, you know, run any traffic lights getting here. So Okay, and you hadn't con- uh, contacted your midwife before that? No, I had not. Right, because you weren't sure of what was going on. I love, right. Yeah, I love your, that's weird, kind of. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was definitely because I, I, I guess I had in my head, you know, after two previous bursts that had gone almost exactly the same, that this was how the third, this is just what my body did. Mm-hmm. And it uh, turns out that's not the case. <laughs> and so things were picking up and getting more intense. What, what was going on next? So then the uh, the midwife came in with her assistant and they just kind of quietly snuck in and my husband took them, you know, showed them where, where to set up and everything. And I didn't really, one of the main things I wanted, as I mentioned before, was I wanted it to be really quiet and, um, you know, really calm. And so they just kind of snuck off and I didn't really notice them until later. And, uh, but they were there. I mean, just kind of, you know, ready when they needed to be. And, um, and so I, I mean, it was a really, really short labor for me, considering my first was 29 hours. My second was 19. This one in active labor was seven hours. It was a huge jump. Mm-hmm. And I credit that to the comfort of being in my own home, uh, not having to get up and go anywhere, or get in the car and sit I don't know it's un- I find it uncomfortable being in the car when you're having a contraction sitting in that seat and everything I just not a fan and getting to the hospital and having to answer questions did you pre-register I mean you take all that off the table and it's just you just go straight through uh, and so it was much quicker for me it was much smoother um, and then after I was, I found kind of a spot in my living room where I was really comfortable and the midwife would come in and, you know, check the baby's heart rate and things like that. Um, You know, take my vitals and, um, and then we, my doula, as, as labor goes on, I get, I usually get more and more stubborn and I don't want to listen to what anybody has to say. So my, my doula knowing that was trying to make a suggestion of changing positions. And I said, no, no. And I kept telling her no. And so finally she and the midwife came and said, I really think that you should change, you know, let's, let's go to the toilet and to sit backwards on the toilet and I had probably six contractions on the toilet. And that was when the doula was helping me with counter pressure. And she kind of gave me uh, a couple of visuals to help, you know, move the baby down into my pelvis. And I thought that was really useful. Uh, And then we moved to the um, master bedroom. And I had originally thought I didn't want to be in the master bedroom. Uh, but it actually ended up being a very comfortable place. And I did a couple of contractions there and it turns out I was 10 centimeters. And that was a huge shock for me because I had been five to six only, you know, two hours before. So things were moving very quickly, which is, you know, that third wild card birth, which was so different. And then I started pushing and I think I pushed for about four minutes and I had a baby. 
Oof. And did you feel like baby's coming and there's no stopping it? Or were you checked and said, you're 10, time to push? Like, how did that go? How did you know it was pushing time? Or did your body just tell you? My body told me I was really surprised when she said I was complete. I didn't feel like pushing. Um, I, so, I mean, I had thought maybe I was seven or eight, maybe. So she, when she said, you're complete, I said, so I can push. And she said, you know, when you, when you feel ready, when your body tells you, and I, I really do, you know, my body did tell me, um, yeah, it's almost a relief to go from a contraction to a push. So, um, I find that it, my body almost does that automatically. I don't really have to think about it, but I'm not going to push unless my body makes that transition. And I think that's something that people need to hear more, that be, just because you get to 10 doesn't mean you're ready to push, that at that point, the baby might still be like the, the head is still, still being held by the lower uterine segment and might be looking to the side, which is the way babies go into the pelvis before they rotate the head. So maybe that rotation hasn't quite happened and the head is still being contracted. Like just getting to 10 is opening the door is not necessarily things go tend to go much better when, as you describe it, you just wait for that your body to tell you and have a clear indication of, oh, yeah, it's time to push rather than, well, I'm not sure. Yeah, I probably had two more contractions after she said you're complete. Um, and I think at that point, you know, your your body can kind of take over and do its own thing. And so my big focus or my big, you know, the big, the main thing that I really wanted to do was relax and focus on relaxing and allowing my body to do its thing and let the baby out. Uh, and I figured if I could do that, then my body would do what it needed when it needed to. Mm, I love that because that's another thing that's at that time, it can be really hard to do when there's so much intensity, but letting things open so that baby can come out instead of tightening against the sensation is huge. Oh, it takes an enormous amount of mental energy, which is why when I told my husband, you just take care of everything. I'm just going to, I'm going to be over here trying to relax. <laughs> Was you were telling him that right before, before starting? To no, when we were, you know, talking about our, you know, our plan and, and everything, you know, I, I knew that it takes an, like, it takes everything to keep yourself relaxed. That's mm -hmm. all you can do, at least for me. That's all I can do. That's the only, that it takes so much mental energy that there's, I don't have the ability to make any other decisions. Mm -hmm. And you said you pushed hands and knees and that's your favorite position. How did you get to there? Was that also intentional or you just naturally ended up there? I think both. Uh, I had figured I wanted to do hands and knees and then it felt comfortable at the time. Um, and so I kind of crawled up onto the master bed and was in my hands and knees. And I started pushing on my hands and knees and I got her head out. And uh, it was a big baby. So they weren't sure if the shoulders would get stuck or anything. And so I got her head out and I kind of stopped and waited. 
and uh, they were not sure if the shoulders were stuck. So they had me get into that runner's lunge and that was how I got the rest of the baby out. So I started out hands and knees, got the baby's head out and then runner's lunge and got the rest of the baby out. Mm. And be, you said that you pushed for about four minutes and then she was out. I'm guessing that runner's lunge or whatever they were concerned with was did the trick and it, it went it didn't go beyond a thought that maybe you needed a position change. Exactly. Excellent. And so then how was that immediate postpartum being at your house? Oh, it was so nice. It was so great. I mean, it the you know, you're sleeping in your own bed that night and we have an awesome mattress. <laughs> and so, you know, you don't have to, you know, in the hospital you know, you, you're in, you know, a different bed and I don't know, they're usually not that comfortable. Um, and, you know, my previous births, we could kind of order out and eat whatever we wanted, but the hospitals had shut all that down with the virus. So you had to eat the hospital food. And so it was nice. I ordered, we ordered out for Indian food. Um, so for dinner, it was great. And I, I mean, it was so comfortable. Mm. What? Oh, you mentioned your baby was big. Oh, how big? 10 pounds, two ounces, 22 and a half inches long. Yeah, that's a good size baby. Yeah. <laughs> and um, did you have any tear? Just a small first degree tear. That was another one of the things that I had mentioned. I had had a second degree tear with my second child that hadn't healed well and needed some follow-on support um, to, to get it healed properly. And that was one of the things I had told the midwife um, was that I was concerned about that happening again. And she had talked about some of the ways to minimize perennial tearing and um, that kind of thing. And she actually, during the pushing phase, uh, gave perennial support. And I think that's one of the things that helped a lot um, with minimizing any issues. Mm. What were some of the things that she told you ahead of time to help you minimize perineal te uh, tearing? So then that goes back to the pushing, not pushing until your body's ready, um, you know, trying not to, you know, bear down with, you know, a lot of force while you're, you know, if your body's not telling you to and those those types of things were the main, the main thing. And then she said she can give, you know, perennial support with the hot compresses. And uh, those were the main, main things. Mm. What about your other two kids? They were, when did they come back home and meet their sibling, their, their sister? So let's see, that was, um, I think, four days four days later. So I, I had the baby on the Friday before Easter and the holiday kind of complicated things a little bit. So I left the kids with my parents for a couple more days just so they could enjoy the holiday with, with my parents. And in terms of COVID stuff, were you guys concerned at all? Like were your parents already isolating? How does, how is that working? Yeah. So that was a huge concern um, for my parents. Um, because they are in that age bracket 
um, and their medical history is such that they're they would not be in a good spot if they were exposed. Uh, and my parents are also really worried about me, and they because they knew that they were the plan for the kids when I had when I gave birth. So for my parents, isolated for a month before I had the baby, um, and they uh, stocked up food ahead of time and everything so they wouldn't even have to interact with anybody or go to the store or get deliveries or anything like that because they were they were pretty worried about it. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing we've been seeing around here in terms of recommendations, especially for home births, is to have the pregnant family isolate, like truly isolate, two weeks before their due date and until baby is born, just because you also want to we want to safeguard the midwives, the home birth midwives, that yeah. they don't, because if they get sick, then that's a huge loss. Um, and ter- you can't just have people sh- shift change and somebody else come in, right? Right. Yeah. And you don't want them spreading anything into the community either. So, yeah. Did she have any, um, did your midwife have any requests like that? Or did you go, what did you guys do? So she did kind of talk me through what the, some of the things that they were going to do. They, the whole team wore masks uh, and gloves and all, you know, even for routine, when they did routine visits and just just to be safe, even now when she's doing the postpartum stuff, she's, I've never I mean, I've maybe once seen my midwife's face, which is funny because like you said, you need a lot of trust. And here I've, I've only ever seen her with a mask on. Um, but so, yeah, that was one of the things where she talked about, you know, and they had to switch all their instruments into, they didn't use any cloth type tote bags or any, I don't know, there's a couple of other things she mentioned that I can't remember the names of off the top of my head, but everything they switched to was things that they could sterilize or um, wipe down with those Lysol wipes so that after every house they visited, they could wipe everything down. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And that's another big difference. Uh, As you were speaking, I was reminded of another big difference with home births is that usually once you leave the hospital, like you're there for at least, depending on the hospital, depending birth center, you're there for, well, hospitals, 24 hours, birth centers, it can be a lot shorter. But with midwives, home birth midwives, they come and they do several visits within those first few days. It's not like if you're at a hospital, you usually don't see your provider until six weeks or sometimes, sometimes some before that, if something's going on. But how often did she come to visit? Did your midwives come visit after the baby was born? A couple times. I think maybe two or three times in the, probably two times in the first couple days. Um, and then again, at the two week mark, Uh, And then I'll probably see her in another week. Uh, And she had said, I can come if you want me to, but if you want me to wait until six weeks, I can do that too. Uh, And I said, you know, just, just come and make sure everything looks good. And, you know, so that is the one thing my, um, that I've 
absolutely loved is that I I do feel very well taken care of. Mm. And is are you having to take baby to pediatrician at all, or is she taking care of all the baby checks as well? So she did, and she actually offered to do a help me with a telehealth visit for the pediatrician, so she could be the pediatrician's hands, and the pediatrician could just be on the video call or whatever. And so we wouldn't have to go into the pediatrician's office, but my pediatrician had said, listen, I, you know, that sounds like a great idea, but I'd really love to listen to her heart. I just, the heart makes, you know, is the one thing that I, I would, I want to listen to myself. So she, um, asked us to come in. So we did go into the pediatrician. Mm. And that makes sense in terms of provider comfort. I do know that the home birth midwives do carry um, different things to assess heart as well when they come back to the check. So they that's one difference of like the Venn diagram of home birth midwives versus hospital midwives or, or any hospital provider, right? That for hospital care or and even birth center care, no, I, I don't know about birth center care, but hospital care, um, you have, there's providers that take care of the birthing person, and then there's the providers that take care of the baby, whereas the right. home birth midwife has to have the knowledge of both. And we usually why they are, they travel in pairs, like you said, it was your midwife come with her assistant, assistant, because if there's a situation one is focused on you and the other one's focused on the baby. There's two patients in that case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, uh, she definitely, she, she had mentioned that when we had talked to her, she had said, you know, the, that a lot of paramedics, for example, have told her that they would rather be called to a death than a birth because a birth is easy uh, to screw up in that, you know, if something goes wrong, you know, you have to know what you're doing because there's two people now instead of just one person. Mm -hmm. And so she had, she did, she had all of this, you know, stuff to kind of do the, um, you know, and the screenings too, I think they're required by state or and you probably know what I'm talking about. I don't remember what they're called, but where they take the babies, prick the baby's heel and all that kind of stuff. Oh, for glucose levels? Or no, sorry, for just the the um, blood check. They have to do it with some blood tests. Right. Yeah, yeah I think it, it varies state to state. Um, but I mean, she did, she did all of that. She did all of that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was very easy. I mean, it is remarkable the amount of knowledge that they have um, and the amount of responsibility that they take on and why it's so important that they, that they assess for your case to be a low-risk birth, right? If there's anything that's making them feel uneasy, they're like, no. Um, exactly. Yeah. So then we were talking a little bit before we started recording that this, home, this uh, postpartum has been so lovely because you've had your husband at home longer due to COVID. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, I think in some, you know, it's, it's a, in some ways a double-edged sword because he still had to, you know, has to work. So he's at home, but he still has to work, but I have his support whenever I need it. So 
I can, you know, run in and get a hug anytime I want one. And, you know, he eats three meals a day with the family. And, you know, I, I think the, the level of support, even though he's still working, the level of support is much higher. Hmm. Now, did you find that your larger village of support, how have they had to switch things around or you have had to switch things around with not being able to get, you know, more family help in the house or friends or people? Yeah, I, w- yeah. I would say that's been difficult um, because you, I don't can't really go see anybody else and the friends who would normally come visit me and you know all those kinds of things are not on the table so a lot of friends sent meals you know via app or you know delivery or whatever groceries you know um that kind of thing um my in-laws sent some stuff via amazon so that kind of thing has been very distant which is a bummer but at least there's the you know they sent help as best they could Um, but definitely the social interaction I think is a huge part of that postpartum phase so not having that I think it is frustrating and difficult but they sent their love as best they could. Mm. Are you doing Zoom meetings and that kind of thing to see them a little bit or talking, just talking on the phone, right? Yeah, I have. I have. I've been talking on the phone a lot to some of my really good friends um, and um, video conferencing my family uh, pretty frequently uh, just to kind of, you know, maintain that relationship. And you had also mentioned um, just before we we jumped on that he, with the other two pregnancies um, and uh, and postpartum, you did experience some postpartum mood disorders. How's that going with this one? This one's been much easier, I would say, and I do think it has to do with my husband being home. Um, you know, friend, you know, having your friends around and everything is is great, but. Um, I, my husband and I have a really great relationship, so that's been a huge help. And I didn't think about that before I had the baby, because um, we had, again, you know, before the virus, we had made totally different plans uh, for how the postpartum phase was going to go with different, you know, that, that village, as you said, different people coming in to help. But, you know, now it's it's just us. It's just our, you know, little core family. And while that has put... Uh, a strain on getting everything done and the house is probably messier than it would have been the uh the important thing has become us and, and our family and our relationship and I, I think there's something to be said for that well and it's you know many other cultures for a long long time have been practicing the idea of 40 days staying home the quarantena or the baby moon in china of just or, or that golden moon in china of having the birth person just be supported and, and have the family be taken care of and staying at their home and i find that this is giving us like a forced taste of that not quite the best situation because ideally you would do this plus have your family and friends come and visit and support you more right that big village but Mm -hmm. i think that's something that we have to remember of how those experiences and compare and contrast and maybe try to 
get things moved more towards this and and actually have proper family paid leave for a long time um, because it does affect mental health and how we grow our families, um, which impacts everything mm-hmm. in our communities, for sure. Kara, is there anything before we close that you wanted to make sure the listeners knew about? I guess just don't be afraid of home birth if you're low risk. You know, I would was not considering it at all until this whole thing. And it turned out to be the best birth I've had. So don't rule it out. Mm. Thank you so very much for doing this. I so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Sabrisky. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. And here is what Kara had for breakfast. Oatmeal. She's like, just oatmeal, (laughs) nothing else. (laughs) Well, I put peanut butter in it, if that makes a difference. Some tea. I like tea. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This episode is copyright 2020 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.